Uh, Turn with me tonight to the epistle of James. The epistle of James, and we're going to read from chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn to the place. If you haven't, maybe you'll share with someone else. James chapter 4, and I'm just going to read a few verses at the end of the chapter. James chapter 4, verse 13. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from our authorized version. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. For as ye know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanish away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Amen. We trust and pray the Lord will stand with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. And my theme tonight is, what is your life in light of eternity? Now, many of us were dismayed last night at the news of the sudden death of the Reverend Ken Elliott. Reverend Elliott was aged about 74. He was the faithful minister of Bethany Free Presbyterian Church for 50 years. He retired a few years ago and was appointed minister in charge of the Lurgan congregation and had been fulfilling that capacity for the past few years. He also lectured in homiletics in the Whitfield College of the Bible. And for many of us who knew the Reverend Elliott, He was a man of God. And and many things could be said about him. He was definitely a person who loved the Lord. He was a family man, married to Jean. He had three children. He was a friendly man. Do you you know that he personally knew the names of everyone in Bethany Free Presbyterian Church? And many, of course, in the wider community in Portadown and further fulfilled. He was also a very kind man. And I personally could testify to the gifts that he gives to others. And I remember just recently he gave a gift to my wife and I so that I could take her out and have a meal on his behalf. He was a faithful man of God. He worked very hard at the work that God had given him to do. And his death, I believe, has had a sobering impact upon each of us. I heard the news about 7.20 uh, PM last night. I left the function that I was at and immediately phoned a colleague uh, for news of confirmation. We had a little chat. Uh, him and I were deeply conscious that the Elliot family had been plunged into deep sorrow and grief. We also talked about the wider fraternity there in Bethany Free Presbyterian Church. 
And we talked about the many that would be affected by those who knew and loved the Reverend Elliot as a faithful man of God. Now, the strange thing is that yesterday afternoon when I was planning to preach, I was thinking of a subject in the book of Hosea in chapter 7 on gray-headed Christians. You see, I'm always thinking about something different and something that would be appropriate. And um, as I was thinking about that text, another text, this text from James chapter 4, jumped into my mind, as if to say, preach me. Now, I had to attend a birthday bash for a dear friend last night outside Banbridge, and I had no time really to prepare James 4 and verse 14 and 15. So when I got the news at 7.20, sitting beside a dear friend, his phone went off, it was a text message, and he looked at it in astonishment, he showed it to me, and it just said, Reverend Ken Elliot is dead. And we were gobsmacked. And of course, as he and I talked, this text again came into my mind, as if to say again, preach in me. So I have to say tonight, I've set aside the previous message and I've pondered this question tonight. What is your life in light of eternity? Now I want us to think of a number of things from this text of scripture. I want you to think first of all of the principle of life. Look at the word life in the text, whereas you know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. So underline the word life. You see, I've learned something very valuable. And I want to pass it on to you tonight, and it's this. Life itself is a precious gift of God. You see, the Bible tonight teaches us about the sovereignty of God in life as in death. And I know that the death of a loved one is a very hard thing to understand. You you think of family and friends suddenly facing the unexpected. Death is not in their plans. It hasn't been on their horizon. And yet suddenly into a family, a good godly Christian gentleman, as it were, taken out of their midst. And it is difficult to comprehend. It's hard to understand. Um, Sometimes we ponder, why? And let's remember when we ask the why this, that it's God that gives life. We were singing, my times are in thy hand. Our times tonight are in God's hands. It was Job 1 and 21 said, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's by a man who saw his whole family wiped out in one day. Not just one child, but seven children. See, God has appointed the day of our birth. God has set the bounds of our habitation. It's in God we move and live and have being. He's the very God that has gifted us breath that we breathe. And God has also appointed the time of our death. The date is set by him. The, 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 The circumstances and the situations around it, he has already pre planned. Remember, the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 27. And so as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. 
And over there in the book of uh, Acts, it was the Apostle Paul that uh, used this whenever he was preaching there in Acts 17 in Mars Hill. He says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bound of their habitation. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now, as creatures made in the image of God, we must therefore submit to the perfect sovereignty of God in life and in death. And even though we can't always unravel or fathom the plans and purposes of God, we've got to recognize that God is in perfect sovereign control of time, events, people, and situations. Remember the Lord Jesus said in John 13, 17, to his disciples to comfort them, what I do now you know not, but ye shall know hereafter. And I ask myself, how can we face as individuals the, the certainty and the reality of an appointed death? And you know what the answer is? To have a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ. The Reverend Ken Elliott, glory to God, was a genuinely saved man. There was a time in his life when he trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in light of this, he's now absent from the body and present with the Lord. He, he has gone to be with the Lord. He was in Christ. And he lived for Christ. And he did that through the strength of Christ. And because he was in Christ and lived for Christ through the strength of Christ, he goes to be with Christ. Because the Bible says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, it's an advantage. He was a true believer. And many of you who knew him knew that he loved being a minister of the gospel. His heart and soul was in it. His, his heart was in it. Um, I mention this, and I, I trust you'll not be offended, but our, our sister here, Gillian Clark, who's with us, sent me a little WhatsApp about one o'clock this morning. And it was a picture from Facebook of the Reverend Elliot kneeling at the bedside before his wife, Jean. She was in the bed, and the Bible was open, and they were offering prayer. And, and no doubt he was praying for his family and his wife and the situation. I don't know how recent the family uh, photo is, but... I thought to myself, that is the Reverend Elliot. He had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. He lived for Christ. He loved Christ. He was loyal to him. And you know, it's a tremendous thing to have a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. The Bible says, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Are, are you happy tonight to say that you're saved? Are you happy tonight that, that uh, your, your life is seen as an open book before men? And of course, his death at last night at approximately 6.30 when he took another heart attack was really an answer to Christ's prayer. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John 17. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And the Reverend Elliot's death sees a, an answer to that prayer. He's entered into glory. 
His eyes have saw the king. As I've said, he's absent from the body and he's present with the Lord. And, and, and he'd remain in that state until he's reunited with his body at the second coming of Jesus Christ in the day of resurrection. Can I encourage you tonight to please to remember the family in prayer? Reverend Elliot's dear wife, Jean. She has her own physical problems to deal with. I think of his daughters, Shirley and Alison. Remember the son, John. Remember the grandchildren. And there's a number of them, and they, they need our prayers. And let's remember that God alone is the God of comfort. God in heaven can comfort broken hearts. And I have no doubt they're in shock, as many of us are. I have no doubt they're grief-stricken. I, I, I have no doubt that there'll be days of weeping, days of mourning. Let's pray that the Lord will comfort them, that the Lord will help them, strengthen them, for the days to come, prepare them for this funeral. And not only the change that this brings today and tomorrow, but for many days to come. I leave with you that thought, the principle of life, the sovereignty of God in life, as in death. I want you to think, secondly, if you look at our text, the picture of life. Not only the principle, but the picture. It says, whereas you know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? And then we're given the answer of what life is. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. Now, what does that teach us? It teaches us this, that life on earth is short, very short. And life on earth is extremely uncertain. A vapor short-lived. Think of the morning mist. You come out, and within a short time, a few minutes maybe, it's gone. In the Sunday school this morning, we boiled the kettle, allowed the children to see the steam coming out of the spout, and in a few minutes it was gone. You could see the steam coming out of your cup of tea or cup of coffee, and in just a second it disappears. And what James is saying, well, life is like that. It's like the disappearance of the morning mist. It's like the disappearance of the vapor. It appears so briefly, and then it's gone. There's such a thing tonight as the brevity of life. We're not here long. We're only here for a little time. We appear, and then we disappear. Listen to what the psalmist said in uh, uh, Psalm 90. It says... For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. Now, now, now think of that. We're like the grass. Growing. And then it's cut down. The Bible tells us in Psalm 90 again, we spend our days as a tale that's told. We're taught there, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And if you go down Church Road and look at the uh, sign outside the Orthodox Presbyterian Church there, that very text is bla blazing for all who pass by. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Times measured in days. Not decades, but days. And if you take the um, fact that we have, uh, what, approximately 70 years, I'm thinking again of, of, of Psalm 90, it, it tells us there in the verse 10, the days of our years are 
threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength there be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for the soon cut off, and we fly away. And you know, <coughs> sometimes we <coughs> think that we have a right to seventy years. I want to emphasize that we don't. We may have, we could have, but it's not guaranteed. We can't predict, we can't presume, because life is short. It's extremely uncertain, and we've got to live our lives in light of eternity. Job even said it was swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Think of the old weaver's loom. Think of the shuttle. Think of the cloth being woven. And you could hardly see the shuttle. It, 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 it speeds back and forth so quickly. That's what the days of our life is like. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. There is such a thing as the uncertainty of life. You can't predict. You can't pre presume. We have no eyes to pry into the future, Spurgeon said. We can't tell what lies ahead. We can plan. We can prepare. We can propose to do this and that. But I wonder, have you ever realized? Have you ever stopped to think? One day I'm going to die. Don't know when. Could be minutes away. Could be days away. Could be weeks away. Could be months away. But remember this. Recognize life is like a vapor. It's uncertain. And the context here is really a warning about presumption. Why is this text in the Bible? It's to warn people about presumption. Certain men, verse 13, were saying, well, we're going to enter into this city. We're going to stay there a year, a whole year, 365 days. We're going to buy and sell in this city. We're going to make a profit. And you know what it was? It was all presumption. They were presuming that they had a whole year. They were presuming the ability to buy and sell, presuming that they were going to make a profit. And really, James is saying to them, whereas you know not what shall be in the morrow. You're talking about a year ahead. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Remember the story in the Bible, in Luke 12, of the rich farmer? He had such a bumper harvest. He said to his soul that, that he would pull down his barns and that he would build bigger and that he had much goods laid up in store for years to come. And he would take his ease and he would drink and he would eat and be merry. And what did the Lord Jesus say? Luke chapter 12. The rich farmer, thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Isn't it natural for children to outlive their parents? Isn't it natural for children to bury their parents? I was telling the young people in the Sunday school this morning, the first person to die was a young person. His name was Abel. He was murdered by his brother. You think of the death of the baby that was born to Bathsheba that only lived a few days. What was it, seven days or, or ten days? You, you think of Job's family. All of them wiped out in one day through calamity after calamity. You think of Jairus' daughter, age 12. You think of the widow of Nain's son. And there she's following the coffin out through the gate until Jesus stopped it and resurrected the young boy. You see, what does that tell us? The old will die, we know. But the young may die. And we live in light of this picture. My life's a vapor. It appears and then it's gone. 
And even if the Lord gives me 70 years, what's 70 years in light of eternity? What's 80 years? We were talking at the week of prayer about uh, uh, one of our dear uh, matrons of the uh, Whitfield College of the Bible, uh, and she's now a, a hundred and two, uh, and that's a grand old age. My mother-in-law's ninety-five. That's a good age too. But what is it in light of eternity? It is such a small thing. It's such a tiny thing. I want you to think thirdly, not only of the principle of life. Remember the sovereignty of God in life and the necessity of a testimony. Not only the picture of life, but I want you to think of the preparation for life. Have you ever asked yourself, why are we here? What's our goal and purpose in being born? Having a birthday and having a death day appointed. Well, here's the answer. The catechism tells us man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And how can we glorify God and enjoy him forever? Well, first of all, by recognizing that we're sinners, uh, remembering that we have a precious soul, that we need to be saved, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners, and by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Remember tonight, he that hath the Son hath life. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but hath what? everlasting life. And Jesus said in John 10 and 10, a text through which I was converted, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Let me ask you tonight, have you got the life of God in your soul? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to die? Remember the Bible says, prepare to meet thy God, Amos 4 and 12. We prepare for education, don't we? We prepare for marriage. People prepare for their holidays. Some have already started in the month of January, thinking about June, July, and August. Some prepare for their retirement. Some prepare for their careers. We prepare for many things. But, but how many never get beyond the education, the holidays, retirement, careers, and even marriage and, and setting up a home? But they never think beyond that. They, they, they never prepare for death. They never prepare for meeting God. You know, there's a law student and he was walking alongside an old professor and you can just picture the scene going into a university and the old professor's questioning the young fella. And he, he says to him, we'll call him John. John, what do you hope to do? And well, I'm here at the university. I hope to gain a law degree and go to a law firm that has good experience. And what then? Well, I'll, I'll probably move up the firm and try to become the best lawyer that I could be. The old professor says, and what then, John? Well, hopefully maybe I'll open my own business and establish a practice and bring in some high clientele. And what then, John? Well, I'll grow my business bigger. I'll maybe get a couple of offices in different towns and expand. What then? Ah, well then, sure, sir, I'll retire. Well, what then, John? Well, I'll probably grow old and likely die. What then, John? And there was no answer. At the word die, there was no answer. See, see, John was living without the Lord. He was living without being prepared to meet God in eternity. We were singing life at best is very brief. It's like the falling of a leaf. We were urging our thought consciousness with the words to be in time. Be in time for what? Be in time for the death day to come. Be in time to meet God. Be in time to give an account in eternity. 
Because I want to tell you, life's not only brief, but it's brittle. We are frail mortal creatures. And when the Bible talks about man, it, it uses four Hebrew words for man. I, I'll not take time to explain it, but one of the words has to do with frail mortal man. And it's usually in contrast to the greatness of God. And I want to tell you, life is borrowed. Do you know tonight your life's a gift? A precious gift. And God has given it to you. And even you're an atheist and you deny that. Or you're an agnostic and you deny it. Or you're a deep-dyed sinner. It doesn't matter. That life is a gift. God has given it. I want you tonight to think about this. Could you make your life count for God? Will you decide tonight? Think of the words I have decided to follow Jesus. That you're going to live to glorify and honor him. That, that you love him with your heart and soul and mind and strength. That you live for him. That you'll be loyal to him. And you'll employ your time and talents in living for the honor and glory of the Lord. And you do so in light of eternity. And you'll not miss the well done of God. And you'll use your time and you'll use your talents well and wisely. And you'll be productive and glorifying and honoring him. And as you do that, you'll be living in light of the death day. And that death day will be again to you. See, that's the way the Reverend Ken Elliot lived his life. He, he remembered that the death day could come suddenly. can come when you least expect it. Don't we know of many who are in health and strength, enjoying life, doing their own thing, leaving the Lord out of the picture? And then suddenly we hear the news. Have you heard about so-and-so? Died tragically in a car accident or, or, or an accident at work. Or, or died through a sudden illness. Remember the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For no man knoweth what a day will bring forth. It was David that said, There is but a step between me and death. We're a heartbeat away from eternity. And again, the context is of men not living to glorify and honor the Lord. Men who had no fear or thought of God. Compare um, verse 13. We're told what they were going to do. Go to now. Ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be in the morrow. Look at verse 15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. You see, these individuals who were going into the city for a year, buying and selling, making money, they, they were not living for the Lord. They were not living in dependence on him. They were not living in the light of his grace and mercy and love to them. They, they were not remembering that life was borrowed. It was a gift from him. They, they had no God consciousness. They, they had no fear of God. Buying and selling, making profit. But living without the Lord. Isn't that a summary of our society today at large. How many in Carrie Duff never really think of the Lord? They get up out of bed in the morning. They, they wash and they dress. They have their breakfast. They, they, they go to work. Maybe they go to university. Maybe go to the school. They, they return home again, having did their day's activities. They, they eat, they maybe spend some time with their family, watch a bit of telly, read a magazine, maybe wash the car, play golf, and they get back into bed, 
and they, 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 they go to sleep and God is not in all their thoughts. And they never once thought about God. Or they never thought that the breath that I breathe is a gift from him. Never thought that in him I move and live in a being. Never thought of his goodness and grace to them who's daily loaded them with benefits. Never thought, well, he could withhold that breath. He could take life from me at any moment. My life's like a slender thread in his hand of mercy and he could cut it off at any moment. See, in Romans 1, it talks about those that had no fear of God before their eyes. See, see that's natural man. That, that's unregenerate man. He, he has no consciousness of God. He, he, he has no reverence for God, no, no, no regard for God, no, no, no respect for God. But you know, when you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you're savingly joined to Jesus Christ, and you're brought into a union and a relationship with him, that all changes. The love of God is stamped in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You want to live for him. And you have this desire and thought. In light of eternity, I have already made preparation for the day of the death. And if that day comes suddenly or unexpected, for me, it'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Young people, you know what the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's fools that ignore the Lord, that disregard him, disregard the gospel. Could I encourage you tonight to build your life in the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe that's an essential part of true happiness. Because the Bible says happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Many young people are unhappy, dissatisfied, fed up, want joy and inner contentment, don't know where to find it. You'll find it in Christ. You're made for Christ. And of course... Building your life in Christ is a great restraint to sin. In Christ you'll have a hatred for sin. You'll have a knowledge of sin. You'll want to shun sinful life. In Christ you'll be able to engage in Christian service. You'll gladly use your time and talents for him. Can I say to you tonight, please don't live as a stranger to the Lord. Don't, don't leave him out of the picture. Don't, don't rebel against him, young people. Don't fight against God in the gospel. You know what? You'll never win. It was Julian the apostate who lay dying in the battlefield in the first century. And he took his hand and he put it into the wound where the blood was oozing out. And you know what he said? Oh, thou Galilean, thou hast conquered. Don't live as if you're not dependent on him. Because you are. In him you live tonight. In him you breathe. In him you move and have being. And it's all due to him that you have mobility throughout the day as well as health and strength. Think of the preparation of life. Now one final thing. You'll be saying amen. One final thing. We've thought about the principle of life. We've also thought tonight of the preparation for life. I want you to think about the prospect of life. If life is brief, and it is, and life is brittle, and it is, and life is borrowed, then I want you to think of this. Your life can be blessed. Because life on earth is followed by death. There's a death day coming. And death brings us into eternity. And you can have a happy eternity. Remember Job said... 
uh, in uh, the uh, Job um, 14 and in the uh, verse 1, he told us something interesting there. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble uh, as the sparks fly upward. He tells us in the verse 10 um, these words, but man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? You see, there's one of two places. You can go to be with Christ in heaven, which is blessed indeed. The opposite to heaven is hell. And it was the Lord Jesus that spoke 13 times about hell for every one time he mentioned heaven. You can look it up. That's a fact. That's not a free Presbyterian minister saying that. I don't say that to scare you. I I don't use the uh, terminology hell lightly from the pulpit. But it's a real place just as heaven is a real place. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Life on earth is followed by death. You can have a happy eternity. You can have the assurance that you've gone to be in heaven. And therefore your life can be blessed. But I want to tell you this tonight as we close. If you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am three times, you will not be. And if you're not in heaven, there's only one of two places. Remember in Luke 16, the rich man died and was buried. And the Bible tells us, and in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Why did that rich man go to hell? Because he's an unrepentant, God-rejecting, disregarding the Lord man all his days. Despite his riches, he, he lived in rejection of the Lord. You know, there was an old farmer one time, and there was a gospel mission in his community. He was determined that he wasn't going to go. And the evangelist, he decided I'm going to visit him. And he'd visited before, but he never got him. So he decided this evening, I'm going to visit him about half four or five o'clock. Surely he'll be there. He'll be feeding calves or something. So, so he went in through the gate. And sure as he went through the gate, there was the farmer with two big buckets of milk. And he was going to feed calves. And he seen the evangelist coming. And he said to the evangelist, don't bother me now. I'm too busy. I've no time for you now. And the evangelist went over to him anyway. And he said this, what have I been doing? And the man looked at him with a strange face. What if I had been death? There's another Christian man who worked in a factory and he was trying to witness to an atheist. And the atheist, of course, was determined that he wouldn't be speaking to this Christian man, certainly in a favorable way. The atheist said to this Christian man that he didn't need the saviour, he didn't need to be saved, he had no sin to repent of, and so on and so forth, and he didn't even believe in God. And he says, you know what, I don't even believe your Bible. I don't even believe one word in the Bible. The man said to him, Do you know that it's written in the scriptures, Hebrews 9 and 27, it's appointed unto men once to die. Do you not even believe that you're going to die one day? And of course his atheist friend was furious. The prospect of life. If life is brief and brittle and borrowed, then it can only be blessed if you die in Christ. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. But if you die in your sins, you'll go to the place of burning, the place where the fire is not quenched, the place where there's outer darkness and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and That rich man is still there. There's no exits. He's being tormented. And he's receiving in his body 
the things that were done in his body. And he'd be tormented for all eternity. We wouldn't want that for you. You think of this. What if death comes? Where will you be in eternity? What prospect do you have for the end of your life? Is it the blessed place or the place of burning? Only you can answer. Only you will give an account to God. 